If you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, uh, since you can't see it on the screen, I would uh, suggest that you do. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 45. Um, I mentioned last week we've only got uh, Genesis, of course, is 50 chapters, so we've got uh, uh, five more uh, to go, and we'll cover today Genesis 45. The, the title of our lesson is Thoughts on Forgiveness. We're going to talk today about uh, forgiveness. Now, I, I thought before we get into the actual scripture that we would kind of give a definition of, of what forgiveness uh, really is. Now, there's a lot of different words used in the Bible for forgiveness. Remember, the Bible, the Old Testament is written in mainly uh, Hebrew. The New Testament is written in mainly Greek. There's some Aramaic. There's different languages in there. English didn't exist when the Bible was written. And so there's different words in there that represent uh, forgiveness. Um, but it essentially means to release or to set free. That's basically, we can forgive a debt, we can forgive a, a loan, we can forgive a, a wrong. There's a lot of ways to forgive, but it essentially means to release or to set free. In other words, the offended party releases the offender from the penalty of whatever uh, the offense is, right? Somebody's done something wrong, and we say, I forgive you, don't worry about it. Normally, there would be a penalty. We release them from that penalty. We forgive them uh, that, that penalty. In other words, one of the definitions I saw on forgiveness was giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt me. That's a pretty good definition, right? Giving up my right to hurt you because you hurt, uh, you hurt me. Now, there are tons of scriptures uh, all over the Bible about forgiveness. I want to read one of them. This is Ephesians chapter 4, 31 to 32, and it says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, I wish you could see this because on my screen, and I'll, I'll turn it around here. I don't know if y'all will be able to see that or not. Can everybody kind of kind of see that? It's a picture of a man and he's standing at a fork in the road. And there are two roads to take. In other words, the idea is you've been wronged. And on one side, you've got a choice. You can go the route of bitterness and slander and malice and gossip and all the things that come with being wronged. On the other side is a road, and there is kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. You see, the fact is, we're all wronged. I've said a thousand times, you don't... You don't go through life, this is going to be one of those days. You don't go through life, all right, hold on, you. I'm preaching today, so there, there may be some kind of uh, sign that I might not need to do this. All right, let me go back here. All right, slideshow from there. Okay, there we go. I won't move this again. We don't go through life without getting hurt, right? We don't go through life without experiencing pain. We all do. That's just, that's just life. And every time that happens, every time we're wrong, every time there's some kind of event like that, we, we have to make a choice. One of the things I like about the Ephesian Force, it's not just about putting away bitterness. It's about replacing it with something else. The Bible never just says put off one thing without putting on something else. You don't, you don't put away malice and bitterness. The Bible says now put on forgiveness, put on tenderness, put on kindness. 
It's not enough just to say, well, I'm not, I'm not angry. No, you got it. It's one or the other. Everybody with me? You choose one road or the other. Now, the reason we're talking about forgiveness this morning is there is no character in the Bible that I see that exhibits uh, the, the, the essence of forgiveness better than Joseph. And there's no chapter in the Bible that talks about or, or, or shows the practicality of forgiveness better than Genesis chapter 45. I mean, if you want to see what forgiveness is like, there are so many things here uh, in this uh, chapter. So I'm going to give you a few thoughts on forgiveness, and we'll kind of walk through the chapter as we, as we do this. Now, before we get to the first verse, I want to give you my first thought on forgiveness. Forgiveness should be granted quickly. Forgiveness should be granted quickly. Now, I want you to understand something before we get into this chapter. When we get in this chapter, you're going to see Joseph reconciling with his brothers. But he's forgiven them in his heart way before this. This, this chapter is really not so much about him showing forgiveness. It's about reconciliation. And I'll show you at the end of this lesson that forgiveness and reconciliation are two completely different things. I'll show you that in a minute. He's already forgiven them long before this chapter in his heart. See, the fact is, Joseph has walked with God closely for 22 years. Has he not? In fact, he's been, I'll show you later, he's just, he, he, this guy's an amazing guy. As, as bad as his daddy is, he is amazing. He really is. He is he's as, as godlike a man, or as godly a man as you'll find uh, in the Old Testament. He's, he's walked with God for 22 years, and he's done it cheerfully. He really has. I mean, he's, he's done it faithfully. You don't do that if you're full of bitterness. You don't do that if you're full of anger. Kathy and I were on the way in this morning, and we were talking about uh, uh, the, the Christian group, the Newsboys, and she was asking me, and I heard that one of the original founders is now an atheist. It has, has decided he don't believe and, and all this. Well, listen, you don't walk away. There, I can tell you, open his heart, and I'll show you anger. I'll show you bitterness. I'll show you a lot of things that shouldn't be there. So you don't serve God faithfully for 22 years if you've got anger and bitterness. See, Joseph forgave quickly. And by the way, this is exactly what the New Testament teaches us. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you've been around my teaching for a long time, you've heard me say this, I'll say it again. If you can be angry... For one day, you can do it for two. If you can do it for two, you can do it for ten. You can do it for ten, you can do it for 365. If you can do it for one year, you can do it for 50 years. Every day that goes by, it gets harder and harder to forgive. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. Don't wait because your heart just gets harder and harder and, and it gets crustier and it gets harder and harder to forgive. Forgive quickly. Forgiveness must come quickly. Now let's start with, with that said, I want you to understand he's already forgiven him in his heart. Let's see what happens in this chapter. Verse 1, it says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before them. Now just a real quick review, you remember his brothers were there, uh, he had, uh, had, they had brought Benjamin back with them, he loaded them up with provisions and he said, uh, go home and 
and uh, they, he put a silver cup in Benjamin's bag, and after they had left, he sent some of his servants, and they found that cup, and they brought him back, and they plead for mercy, and Judah does something. He wanted to see, have they really changed? And Judah says, take me instead of my brother. Y'all remember that? That was in chapter 44. And so Joseph was able to see, wow, they, they really are different. They're not the same brothers that sold me into slavery uh, 22 years ago. So again, verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood beside him. And he said, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, here's my second thought. Forgiveness needs to be granted privately. Not only should it be granted quickly, it should be granted privately. When you read this first verse, some of the commentators will say things like, well, the reason Joseph did this is he was concerned that if, he sees, if, if all of his Egyptian servants saw him break down and start crying, that he would lose their respect and, and their... Are you with me? He didn't want all of his servants to see. I don't think that was his reasoning at all. In fact, let me say, if that was his reasoning, he failed miserably because look at verse 2. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the whole household of Pharaoh heard it. So if he was trying not, if, if his whole point was not to let them see me break down, he failed miserably because he cried so loud and sobbed so loud that everybody could hear it anyway. I don't think that was his reasoning uh, at all. In fact, I think there's a much better reason. You see, Joseph is going to meet with his brothers, and, and for the lack of a better term, he is going to air some dirty laundry. Isn't he? This is what you did to me. Right? You sold me into slavery. Let me tell you, things like that, especially in the family, need to be dealt with privately. You don't need to splash your dirty laundry all over Facebook. That's nobody's business. And I'll show you why in a minute that's important. Deal with these kind of things privately, especially, especially in the family. Now, you may say, well, why? Okay? Well... Because bring it, if you bring in outside people who don't... Let, let's, say, uh, let's, say, uh, let's say me and Dallas, my Uncle Dallas, have a problem, right? And, and there's something going on between us. And, and I, I, I get up here in front of all y'all. And I say, well, I want to tell y'all what Dallas did to me. And I just lay it out and I forgive him. Well, immediately, I've turned your heart against Dallas. Well, I can't believe Dallas did that. What kind of person is Dallas? Everybody with me? What's the point? What, what's that guy? To, by the way, is how, can, how is that forgiveness? It's like I'm almost... That makes no sense. Not only should forgiveness be granted quickly, it needs to be granted privately. There's no... If, if, if I want to truly restore Dallas, then it, it's going to be a big help if y'all don't know any of that stuff. I, I'm poisoning your heart for no reason. Are you with me? That makes no sense whatsoever. Proverbs 17.9 says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Cover it. What does it say about love? Love covers sins. It doesn't spread them out. It doesn't let it out for everybody to see. It covers them up. Okay? So, so this kind of forgiveness, I think this is exactly what Joseph is doing. He is he's just, he's saying, look, this is between us. It, this is not something that everybody else needs to hear about. Look at verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't even answer him, for they were dismayed at his 
presence. Now, Joseph, he means this as good news, right? Hey, it's me. And they think, oh, no. We just thought we were in trouble before. We just thought we were in trouble when we're standing before this powerful uh, Egyptian governor. But all of a sudden, their fear goes through the roof. You see, the fact is, it's bad enough to stand before some unknown Egyptian governor who is, who is basically going to judge you for, for stealing this cup. But to all of a sudden realize this man that's going to be your judge is the same brother you sold into slavery 22 years ago, that, that can't be good, right? So, so they're like, I mean, this is bad, bad for them, right? See, at least before, they hoped that he could be impartial. But now in their mind, they're not standing before an impartial judge. They're standing before their, their enemy. So it's no wonder that they were dismayed. It's no wonder they can't get the words to come out of their mouth. Verse 4, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, here's my next thought. Not only should, be, should forgiveness be granted quickly, forgiveness be granted privately, forgiveness needs to be granted sacrificially. Forgiveness is granted sacrificially. Let me tell you, forgiveness is always a matter of grace, not works. I think we can agree on that. And, and grace does not make demands. I, if I come to you and I say, okay, Uncle Dallas, I'm going to forgive you if, then it's not forgiveness. If I demand he do something, then he's basically paying, right? It, that's works. That's not grace. That's not mercy. Let me tell you, but here's the thing, and I want you to understand. Forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness is never free. Now, this is something we don't think about a lot. Let me give you a couple of examples. If a banker pardons your loan or forgives your debt, okay, then who suffers the loss of the money? The banker. In other words, you borrowed his money, you can't pay it back. If he forgives the debt, he pays the cost, doesn't he? He lost the money. He doesn't just magically appear back in the bank. He, he pays it. If, if a criminal commits an act and damages society in some form or fashion, and we forgive that criminal, right? Then society, the, the act that he committed is still there. It still damaged society. Society pays the price. If I come to your house and you've got this, this nice vase sitting there that you paid a lot of money for and I break your vase, you might forgive me and that's all well and good, but you suffered the loss. That vase ain't coming back. Are you with me? See, forgiveness is never free. Sin always has a price that is paid. Forgiveness is the decision on my part to suffer the penalty that's your due, that's due to you. In other words, you break my vase, I forgive you, I suffer the penalty. I say, okay, never mind, I'll take it, I'll deal with this. Don't worry about it. Are you with me? It's never free. I'm, the, the offender actually says, okay, I'm going to make the sacrifice and I'm going to pay the penalty. See, the pri what was the price of Joseph's forgiveness? Well, let's see. He spent 22 years away from his father. He spent years as a slave. He spent years in prison. See, he, he, he took all that on himself. See, they owed him. They owed God for what they did. But he says, don't worry about it. 
you're forgiven. But you see, forgiveness isn't free. You, as in the offender, you make the sacrifice. See, forgiveness never comes without sacrifice. By the way, this is exactly what Christ did for us on the cross, did he not? See, God doesn't overlook our sins. He just bears the penalty himself for our sins. We're forgiven because he, made, he paid the price. Sins had to be paid for, and they, and they are. Let me tell you, genuine forgiveness always has a price tag. That's why there are so few willing to pay it. Genuine forgiveness always has a price tag, and that's why there are so few men and women willing to step up and pay that price sacrificially. Here's another thought. Forgiveness must be granted unconditionally. If true forgiveness has to be granted unconditionally, it's not earned. Again, if a man commits his crime and serves out his prison sentence, that's not forgiveness, right? He paid his debt to society. If a man cannot pay back a loan, we, let's say somebody loans money and there's a certain time frame, a year, five years, and they cannot pay back and we extend the time, that's not forgiveness. We're, we're still expecting them to pay back that loan. If, if forgiveness expects the person to pay or do something to earn it, then it's not forgiveness. By the way, that may be justice, but it's not mercy. It may be law, but it's not grace. You cannot forgive and at the same time expect somebody to pay you back in some way. That's not, that's not forgiveness. It must be granted unconditionally. Another thought on forgiveness is it has to be granted permanently. It has to be granted permanently. Just as you cannot put conditions today on forgiveness, you can't put conditions on the future. You can't say, well, I'll forgive you as long as... You do something for the next 25 years or, or whatever. You can't lay down conditions for forgiveness to remain in force. After this chapter, 17 years will go by until uh, Jacob dies, which is Joseph's and the brothers, their father. He's going to live 17 more years. And in Genesis chapter 50, he's going to die. And when he dies, the brothers say this. This is Genesis 50, 15. You don't need to turn there. Joseph's brothers realized what their father's death could mean. So they thought, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? In other words, why, what if he was just forgiving us because of our father? Now that our father's gone, he's, gonna, he's just going to do what he wants to do, right? But see, forgiveness doesn't work that way, does it? There's no conditions on it. It doesn't change in 10 years. You can't forgive and then 10 years later say, well, you know what, I'm not, that, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness has to be unconditional and forgiveness has to be permanent. And let me say this. I was talking, in fact, with somebody about this the other day. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. We're not God. God says, I'll cast their sins into the sea of forgetfulness. God says, I'll, I'll remove their sins as far as the east is from the west. God can literally forget. Which is an amazing thing, right? That's why he's God. You can go to God and say, remember? And he says, no, I don't remember that. He literally can make himself forget. You and I cannot do that. We're human beings. You, we cannot uh, forget. But what we can do is we can make a decision not to keep bringing that back up. We can make a decision not to keep drudging that thing back up over and over and over uh, again. Let's read verses 5 through 8. 
This is Joseph still speaking. He says this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a remnant. Uh, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, I think it goes without saying, and I think we all realize this, that forgiveness is a godly characteristic, is it not? Forgiveness is, is a sign of godly character and godly conduct. There's not a person in this room that doesn't understand we should forgive, right? That ain't the problem. The problem is what? Doing it. That's the problem. We know we should do it. We know God does it. We know we're supposed to be Christians, which means little Christ. We know we're supposed to do it. That ain't the problem. The problem is actually doing it. Now, if you want help, I'll give you the easiest thing. This is so key, and Joseph showed us this. If you've got somebody in your life, and I want each one of you right now, I'm going to ask you in a minute something, and I want each, there's somebody in your life that's done you wrong. Somebody. Some, probably right now, there's somebody you can think pops immediately into your head that you need to forgive. If you really want to forgive that person, let me give you a key. Meditate on the sovereignty of God. Meditate on God's sovereignty in that offense that was committed against you. See, li listen to Joseph's words. These boys, they, they threw him in a pit. They wanted to murder him, and they had to be talked out of that and sold him into slavery. For 22 years, he's been away from home. For 22 years, he's been a slave. He's been in a jail cell. He's been separated from his father. And listen to his words. God was behind all that. God sent me here. You see, they sinned, yes, but God used their sin for good. Joseph says, you sold me, but God sent me. Those are incredible words. You sold me, but God sent me. It's, it's this, this amazing thing. Men are doing, we've said it before, men are doing exactly what they want to do. They are sinning against God, and yet at the same time, they're doing exactly what God needs them to do. It's a crazy thing. They're, doing, they're just saying, they're shaking their fist at God and saying, I'll do what I want to do. And God's sitting there, yeah, whatever. You'll do exactly. You, you will fulfill my will. You sold me, but God sent me. Let me tell you, God hates sin. Don't ever forget that. God never tempts anybody to sin, James says. God hates sin. Yet His sovereignty assures us that while men may do wrong things for the wrong reasons, God can use that sin to accomplish His good and His purposes. That is all over the Bible. You see, with His words, Joseph shows us that he understands that. Salvation, not destruction, was God's purpose. He, he, he says, you sent me here to save lives, to save your lives. So if he really knows that behind all this slavery and prison and, and all the stuff that went on, he knows if God was behind all that, well, how can he be angry at his brothers? Right? You see how much easier forgiveness is when you really understand the primary cause? Listen, if you sit under my teaching 
for any amount of time, you're going to hear this thing come up again and again. Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God. Why? Because it matters. It matters every single day in your life. It's not some big theological thing that we learn and just set it on a shelf. No, it matters when you go to work tomorrow and you go to school tomorrow and somebody does you wrong. How do you forgive? If you really want to forgive, meditate on the sovereignty of God behind that offense. See, the the remarkable thing about Joseph's life was not his brilliance. By the way, I think he was a brilliant man. Very intelligent, very smart. It, it was not his administrative ability or his gifts, which he, he had. Let me tell you, Joseph's, the, the, the remarkable thing about Joseph was his attitude. That was what made him who he was. You see, and the reason he had this attitude, the reason he could serve God as a slave, the reason he could serve God in prison, the reason he could still serve God and not dwell in bitterness is because he understood the sovereignty of God. He understood that probably better than, 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 and, than any... And by the way, there's no book teaching him that. There's no word at this time. There's no Old Testament or New... There's none of that. He just had a relationship with God, and he knew the God he served was sovereign. And that allowed him to properly see and interpret events in his life. Does that make sense? You see, his knowledge of God's sovereignty was the foundation of his forgiveness. Let me say that again. His knowledge of God's sovereignty was the foundation, the basis of his forgiveness. Listen, there is a very, very practical lesson here for each and every one of of us. You and I have to learn to relate God to everything that happens in our life. God isn't some, some God that just sits off out there. You know, some people believe in deism, that God created the earth, like, and then he just steps back and watches it. That's deism. By the way, many of our founding fathers, when they believed in deism, they talked about God and all that, but they didn't, they didn't believe in an active sovereign God. They believed in a God that created this earth, and he just sits back and sees what's going to happen. My Bible never teaches that. My Bible teaches that God is actively involved in the lives of men, especially in the lives of his children. We should start actively relating God and his sovereignty to everything that happens in our life, both good and bad. Both good and bad. Let me say it. Joseph had things happen to him that were wrong. In fact, very wrong, very unfair. Yet Joseph and all those things always related them back to God. I mean, how do you do that? How, is, how do you walk through life and all these bad things are happening and you relate it back to God? Here's why. You look past what seems to be the primary cause and you look to the actual primary cause, which is God. You look past what seems to be that person that's doing you wrong. You look beyond that and you see God on the other side. See, it may look like God, this person is mistreating you, But in actuality, God may be disciplining you as a loving father. It may look like somebody did you wrong, but in essence, God is using that to conform you to the image of his son. God's always working. Even when people are doing you wrong, he's always behind it. It may look like somebody did you wrong by selling you into slavery, but in reality, God is is saving your entire family. See, Joseph is able to look past his brothers, and on the other side, he says, you sold me, but, oh yeah, that was God. 
You imagine how our lives would be different if we walked through every day and somebody does us wrong and said, yeah, you did me wrong, but where, where's God in this? What are you doing, God? That changes everything. That's why the sovereignty of God is so important. Let me tell you, the Apostle Paul did this all the time. We read it and we don't even think about what he said. He is in prison. He is in chains. He is the prisoner of Caesar. Yet over and over and over again, Paul says this, I'm Paul, a prisoner of who? Jesus Christ. I am Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Not, not Caesar. Not, not any of those. No, he, he's able to look past the prim, what looks like the primary cause and he sees God. God's doing this. God's at work in this. Paul did it all the time. That's how he lived his life, his attitude. We have to view every event in our lives through the lens of the sovereignty of God. When we understand that his, he's got a purpose in everything that happens to us, and his purpose is to bring good to us and bring glory to himself. If you can walk through life with that attitude, like Joseph, that changes everything. All of a sudden, those people that are doing you wrong, they're not near as hard to forgive as they used to be. Because now you know God is at, is at work. Go back to verses 5 through 8 real quickly. Just look at what he said again. God sent me. It was not you who sent me here, but God. See, he's looking past the brothers. He's looking past what they did, and he's seeing the sovereignty of God. Now, here's my question for you this morning. Once again, I wish you could see the picture. I got a picture of a man. And he's standing in front of two roads, and over his head it says, what will you do? See, a while ago I asked you to think about, is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? You're standing at a crossroad today. And on one side you can walk in bitterness, and you can walk in strife, and you can walk in anger, and you can walk in malice, or you can put that off and you can forgive. You can forgive. Listen, could you say like Joseph to somebody? Could you, could you imagine yourself saying this to that person? Hey, don't, don't worry about it. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry because of what you did. For God had a hand in it. God was using what you did for my good. Could you actually find yourself saying that to somebody? God had a purpose in the events that happened between you and me. You see, understanding the sovereignty of God changes everything. Verses 9 through 11. Joseph said this, Hurry up and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come. So this is how we know 22 years have gone by. Um, uh, it's only two years into famine right now. So that you and your household and all that you have do not come to uh, poverty. Verses 12 to 13. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that is, it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor. Now, by the way, he's already said that once in verse 9. Go tell my father how, how rich I am. Go tell my father of all the glory that I have. Hurry, go back and bring my father down here. Now, let me tell you, knowing Joseph the way I do, he's not bragging. This has nothing to do with, with bragging. I think he does it 
for a couple of different reasons. The first thing, I think he's really actually trying to encourage his brothers. I mean, that's who Joseph was. He's actually trying to encourage his brothers. Listen, they are guilt-ridden. There's no doubt at this point, right? Your brother that you thought was dead or a slave, he's standing there looking at you. There's got to be guilt all over him. And basically what he's saying is, look, all's well that ends well. Right? Yeah, we had some problems. Yeah, you did some bad things, but that's behind us. That's over. Look what God did. Look at me. There's no way this would have ever happened if, if, if ha- you would not sold me into slavery 22 years earlier. The second reason I think he does it because he wants to comfort his father. He, and he wants to let uh, Jacob know that, hey, I can provide for you, for you now. Look at verse 14 to 16. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and he wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. So finally they get to the point where they can actually breathe and they realize, man, this, this guy's really not going to kill us. He, he really has forgiven us. This is unbelievable. And so they're finally able to, to talk with him. I'm going to think, I tell you what, though, it's going to be a long time before they can fully grasp the grace of forgiveness that was bestowed upon them. You don't grasp that immediately. It takes time to really realize what someone has done for you. Verse 16, And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Now listen, at this point in the story, you almost expect this, right? Well, yeah, Pharaoh is going to join in the party. But let me tell you, that would have been very unusual. I've said it before in this, the Egyptians despised Hebrews. There was racial bigotry in this country where they absolutely despised Hebrews. They looked down on them. You remember even Joseph at his level right now, he's the vice president. When he sits down for a meal, Egyptians will not sit at the same table. Remember that from last week? When they do a meal, he has to move over and sit by himself. They will not eat with him because he's a Hebrew. So Hebrews are not welcome. They're not welcome in this, this country. But yet Pharaoh says, hey, this is, this is great. Look at verse seven, uh, 17 through 20. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, I I mentioned something earlier I want to bring up, and I think this is very instructive for us. I don't think Joseph, as far as I can tell, ever told Pharaoh about what had happened to him. As far as I can tell, he has never told Pharaoh, yeah, I got these sorry brothers, and they sold me, and they threw me in a pit, and they, he's never, are you with me? He never brought that up. In fact, in Genesis 40, do you remember when he's in prison, and the cupbearer, and the, and the uh, baker, y'all remember that? Listen to Joseph's words. This is in chapter 40, verses 14 and 15. He says this, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, And do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. He never says who kidnapped me. This is even more amazing. He never blames, as far as I can tell, he never even blamed Potiphar's wife. He never mentioned Potiphar's wife for accusing him of rape. 
He just says, even here, I, I hadn't done anything to deserve to be here. But he never points the finger at people. They did it. They did it. She did it. He did it. I was done wrong, but he never points the finger at... He never exposed the guilt of other people. As a result, Pharaoh comes in and he doesn't have any preconceived notions about the brothers, right? I mean, if Joseph had been gossiping and slandering... You remember one of the things Ephesians 4 says? When we've done wrong, what do we do? Slander. We talk about people. Joseph didn't do that. So therefore, when now Pharaoh comes in, he's got no history. He's not sitting there saying, boy, these, these, are, these are the sorry boys that did that to you. Well, they're not welcome here. You might forgive them, Joseph, but I'm not forgiving them. See, Pharaoh didn't have to walk through that because he had no knowledge of that. I'm telling you, man, Joseph is a man of God. You want to talk about somebody to emulate? Go look at Joseph. I, I, until I hit this study, I just I knew about him. But I just had no idea time after time that the godly character that this man uh, possessed. Once again, you have a choice when you've been wrong. Do I gossip? Do I slander? Do I get out on Facebook and let everybody know how wrong y'all have done me? Or do I replace that with forgiveness, tenderness, kindness? It's always a choice. So Pharaoh comes in and he just he welcomes these guys like long lost relatives because again he, his mind hasn't been poisoned uh, against them and a lesson we can learn here is what I mentioned earlier with Uncle Dallas silence makes it much easier when forget to restore somebody right if everybody doesn't know all the details once forgiveness happens it's much easier to restore somebody because their minds haven't been uh, poisoned verse twenty one to twenty four. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. And to each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. And to his father he sent his fathers, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, Don't fight, don't quarrel. On the way. Now, why would he do that? Well, listen, he knows his brothers. They're, they are the sons of four different mothers, and those mothers quarreled all the time. Right? Y'all remember all that? So they're raised in, a, in an environment where they're just, they're just quarreling and fighting. He knows that. So he says, so he understands on the journey back, the first thing they're going to do is start blaming each other. I told you. I told you. you sh- I, I told you not to do that. He says, don't do that. That's all over. What's the point? It's been done. It's forgiven. God has used it. Let's move on. Okay? So again, he, he understands. Just don't do that. That would be pointless. Verses 25 to 28. So they went up out of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. This man has lived 22 years with the reality of his son's death. You imagine going 22 years. He was 17 when you last saw him. He's now 39 years old. 22 years have gone by and you think he's dead. And somebody walks in one day and says, he's, a, he's alive. 
I mean, <laughs> there's no wonder his heart. I mean, how could, yeah, well, what, whatever. You've got to prove that to me, right? Now, let me tell you, Jacob is old, but he's not senile. He's still got 17 years to live, I told you earlier. Now, he knows. Now, wait a minute. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Okay, let's stop right here. How did this happen? You told me he was dead. See, these boys have got some explaining to do. Jacob's not just some idiot that says, oh, well, okay, <laughs> right? He's going to want to know just like we would want to know. Now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You let me think he was dead. How did, he, how did you get his coat? How did he survive that, quote, uh, animal attack that we all thought he had? So they've got some explaining to do. But here's an interesting thing. Do you notice when Joseph reconciles with them and Joseph sends them back to their father, he never says, hey, go home and confess your sins to daddy. He never puts, again, he never puts any requirements on them. And Moses, by the way, here's another interesting thing. Moses, who wrote Genesis, doesn't document any of the conversations that went on with their father. Okay? Now, after all, though, why should it be made public? As we said earlier, this was a family matter that was dealt with in private. Moses wrote what we needed to know for our instruction, not for our curiosity. Okay? He told us what we needed to know, and we stopped there. Now, last thought. I got, I got one minute. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness doesn't mean we have to go back to being a victim. Forgiveness does not mean we've got to let that offense occur again and again and again and again. Forgiveness does not mean you have to trust that person again. Forgiveness does not mean that you even have to get along with them. Forgiveness does not mean you have to like someone. And forgiveness does not mean we ignore reality or ignore repeated offenses. That's not forgiveness. That's not what it means at all. See, forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you. You're saying, I'm not going to carry bitterness and anger and malice in my heart. I'm going to forgive. But let me tell you something. Reconciliation always requires actions on the other person. Let me be clear there. Forgiveness is all about you. But reconciliation means that other person has to do something. All right? Now, that's an important distinction I think we need to understand. You see, Joseph forgave his brothers in his heart years ago, but he didn't reconcile with them until they showed true repentance. He didn't reconcile with them until he was sure they were different people. He waited for reconciliation. Let me tell you, God does the same thing. God has made provision on the cross for the, for the forgiveness of sinners, but you cannot be reconciled to God until you repent. There is an action required on your part, and that is repentance. Yes? Then you can be reconciled to God. He's already provided the forgiveness. He's already paid the price. But reconciliation, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, by the way, you don't need to do anything. We can be reconciled. No, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your wicked ways and turn to him. Then reconciliation can occur. It's the same for us. Listen, if you've done me wrong... Okay, I need to forgive you. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with me. But I'm not going to go back into a relationship with you and you just keep doing the same thing. That's crazy, isn't it? Forgiveness doesn't require that I just walk back over and say, hey, let's do it again. 
That's not, that's not forgiveness. So it's perfectly fine. If I've really forgiven you, it's perfectly fine that I, have to, that I may have to keep you at a distance for a while until I see that you've changed. Okay? But I have, everybody with me? Now, here's something, though. What do we do while we wait? What do I do while I'm waiting for, for that repentance, while I'm waiting? I, again, I've already forgiven you. It's over. It's gone. I'm not requiring you to do anything. But the fact is, I don't have to reconcile until there's been some action. What do I do while I wait? You do what God does. You look for opportunities to exhibit kindness. Romans 2.4 says this, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So while I'm waiting, what am I doing? I'm looking for opportunities to exhibit kindness to you, to do nice things for you, to do good things for you, because that's what God does. Next week, we turn to Genesis 46. Again, we've got four chapters left. So um, as I mentioned, I, I've already decided where we're going next. I'm gonna give, uh, I'll give you the same hint I gave last week. It's either in the Old Testament or the New. It's one or the other. Okay, we're going to do... We're going to do one of those two things. Let's pray. Father.